Welcome to the Ecom Wiz Podcast, a podcast that helps Amazon sellers to dominate the marketplace. And I do mean dominate. Dominate. Each week, we deliver the best interviews with some of the top Amazon influencers in the industry. This is the Ecom Wiz Podcast. Hey everyone, it's Rob Stanley with the Ecom Wiz Podcast. And today my guest is Carlos Alvarez. He's founder of Bluebird Media. And he's also the founder of the largest Amazon meetup group in Florida called Wizards of Amazon. Carlos, thanks for being on the show. What's up, man? Glad to be here. Yeah. So Carlos and I actually met uh, oh several months ago in San Francisco right before the lockdown. And I was like, I got to get Carlos on. I watched his presentation. It was just an awesome presentation. Um, and there's some great stuff. And we're going to go over some of it. But one of the things we want to concentrate on today is a lot of people or a lot of sellers keep talking about how do I get traffic to Amazon, to my products on Amazon, but using not Amazon, like not using pay-per-click, not using, you know, the different ways that you could basically advertise on Amazon. How do you av- kind of advertise off Amazon? And Carlos had some really interesting ones that I was throwing at him. I was going, hey, Carlos, you know, what about social media? He goes, oh no, everybody does that. I've got some things that are completely different than that. So Carlos, start us off with what are some of the things you're using to drive traffic to your products on Amazon or, or helping other people do that? Absolutely. Um, and it was a pleasure meeting you two in, in San Fran right before all of this exploded on us and we all <laughs> had to scurry home. Uh, also, I'm not, I am a fan of these other methods that exist, like the social media, the obvious ones. I'm not, I have nothing against them. I want to I bring everything to bear um, for the success of the business, but I, I have found greater success using not so obvious ways to do it. Kind of like when everybody's zigging, you zag. Yeah. And those are the tips everybody wants to hear, right? I mean, we've had people on the show that talk about social media and stuff. We're not saying they're not effective, but you know, there's people out there doing things that are not the norm, right? Everybody gets on Facebook, does f- Facebook ads or promotions, giveaways, that type of thing. Tell us some of the things you're doing that are not kind of those norm, uh, kind of thinking outside the box. Yeah, well, one, of the, one of the main ones would be I've been spending the last year and a half really focusing on Alexa. Um, Alexa voice technology, specifically flash briefings. I, I do have some custom skills um, in the works, but using Alexa flash briefings and, and the way uh, my logic behind it was they're Amazon shoppers, so they already have their card loaded on Amazon. And if you have an Alexa device, you can just make purchases with your connected Amazon account. So the majority of the friction was gone. I, I had an initial concern of, even for myself, like how often would I shop via voice? And yes, it was very slow in the beginning. That's rapidly changing. <laughs> and my, my bet, if you will, is that, you know, this time next year, it's a not so abnormal thought. Like people just would be a lot more commonplace. And the year after that, we could be seeing some, some really radical changes on how people search and, and, and purchase online via voice. Specifically, though, how I'm using this for um, on Amazon I'm having great success actually getting product reviews um, using using Alexa flash briefings as well as promoting Alexa flash briefings 
um, on social media and other locations to get them there and then speak about my product. Yeah, that's, wow. I mean, I, I would not have thought of that. I mean, we, we know Alexa's a thing, right? Everybody's got them. There's tons of them in everybody's houses, but you know, use utilizing them to not just drive reviews, but drive sales also is pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, you mentioned a couple others and I unfortunately didn't write them down because I wanted to make sure we kind of just yeah. went into them. What were the, a couple of the other uh, tips you had for kind of driving more traffic? Uh, another one, and this has to be, this one coupled with email has to be the central nervous system of my, uh, of everything that I do in, in launching products and scaling them. And that's trivia, quizzes, polls, and contests. There's oh. a lot of great tools out there. I'm not affiliated with any of them. I, I predominantly use one called WooBox, W-O-O-Box.com. Um, just seems like the more robust one that's out there. But I use WooBox, I use King Sumo, I use Viral Loops, and, and a lot of them out there for different reasons. There, there's one actually called Gleam, Gleam.io, that seems to be very Amazon-specific. Still, I prefer WooBox. And, and the way I use that is that's really my solution for cold audience. So I am a Star Wars geek. And it doesn't matter how busy my day is, if something pops up on my Facebook feed with, you know, what color lightsaber would you have if you were a Jedi? I'm done. I'm in. Like, however long this thing is, I want it to be red. I want to be a Sith at the end of this. And I want to share it with my other Star Wars friends on Facebook. And that's the power of it. I, it's obviously from the marketing side, pixeled. So I'm obviously able to retarget. And I'm able to retarget also based on whether someone just clicked on it and opened it or somebody clicked on it and went through it. So I, I really know anybody that goes through 10 questions um, and gets them right even, because I can score that on the back end about to figure out what color lightsaber they'd have as a Jedi. This is somebody that's very invested in the product. Um, and it allows me to further send Facebook ads or different types of trivia quizzes, polls and contests to them. So it doesn't require the user to input any email address. They don't feel like they're exchanging anything and that it's just a win from them for them. It's a little micro commitment that they just take it. Uh, once they've taken it, I'll then get into a more of like a segmenting technique, which is putting a poll or a quiz in front of them. Depending on my product, say that I was selling a product that was think of a hard one I've done. Um, let's say hyperhidrosis. So like, can you think of a more challenging, that's, it, that's even yeah. extremely challenging to, to, uh, to target uh, on Google and Facebook. So let's say I have a product that addresses hyperhidrosis or excessive sweating. And I sent a, you know, a, a fun little, what color is your lightsaber to them? And they took it. Huh. Uh, if my product addresses severe hyperhidrosis, if I just start retargeting people with, you know, not so severe or very minor, or maybe they have it and they don't realize they have it. Oh yeah. If I just start sending this severe product to them, it's not going to be a good fit. And, and, and I'm just going to waste a lot of ad spend. So sending something that's a piece of trivia that, or I'm sorry, a quiz that would allow them to take this quiz and based on the answers, segment them to discover whether they're the right person. Oh. Uh, that it has been a huge help. Because again, with our products, a coffee, for example, everyone thinks it's just super easy to go out to social media. I have a coffee product. Let's target coffee. They want to target their ceramic burr coffee grinder. What, 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 if, what if the majority of those people are instant coffee drinkers? Like they have no, they have no need for your, for your grinder. So that's where a, 
quiz would come in because it would allow you to identify and segment who are those people. And then finally, the last part of that would be the actual contest. What's been effective for me there is a likes to, um, uh, a likes to win campaign. So I might, the example I give, you know, a, a, a little baby sitting on, a, on an opened bag of coffee beans and funniest caption wins. So that, at that stage and only at that stage will I ask somebody to give their email address and then that's where we get into the good stuff with email marketing. But so, so that, I, I just bunched that into one, calling it trivia, quizzes, polls, and contest. That's been a, a huge one for me. Uh, another one, I, I can't tell you how amazing this tool has been to me. I, I, did an, I did an entire podcast episode on it and some people in my group have actually begun using it. It's super powerful. It's slick text. So it's SMS marketing. What I have launched products before just by going to farmer's markets and say cooking this product or maybe it doesn't matter what I'm selling. I'll always have a whole bunch of coffee for free because people are attracted to the smell. They come to the farmer's market booth and that allows me to have conversation over coffee, like conversation, conversation. That's somebody I follow actually has a podcast conversations over coffee, but the, it allows us to have that conversation where I can talk about their product. Now, if they taste my product and they liked it or they, they tried it right there and they liked it, giving them my card for them to leave and then use it as a toothpick or fall between you know, the car seats or whatever the case may be, it's not effective. We all know it. Yeah. Um, it's also not realistic to sit there and start grabbing their number and inputting it into your phone just because there's so many different people at the booth. So that's where Slick Tech comes in. So um, one that anybody that wanted to could listen, could, could even try out if you wanted that was listening to this is if you text the word Amazon to 69922. Now, the only thing that's going to do, there's nothing for sale there. It's just going to show you the link to our, to our Amazon seller meetup group. I think I might have added something on there that, that shows my podcast, but I use that all the time. I use it when I'm out speaking about a product. I use it if I'm exhibiting at a show. I use it when I'm in line at Starbucks. I use it every, I just used it now. So like yeah. say I wanted to get on some industry specific trade shows, that's been a really powerful tool for me. And once, once you text that, I can do a bunch of different things. I can request your email. It connects to my CRM. It, it connects to my email mark. It does everything. Yeah. So it's an easy entryway for people to get into my system, um, hook them up onto subscribe and save, send them a promo code. The tool has a promo code rotator. So I can just load a bunch of promo codes on there, like one time use, and this tool will automatically disperse them and rule them out. So very convenient um, to use. Uh, you want me to keep going? <laughs> yeah, no, keep going. I mean, it, trust me, people come on the show to listen to the guests we have. They don't want to listen to me. So I'm just right. here to ask the questions and keep it going. I want to so, get no, you on that's great. Talk, I want to get I want to get you on my show and talk about YouTube. So yeah, I'm well, we'll get, get to that. We'll get to that. Hey, actually, I do have a question. So. Uh, if you don't mind sharing, uh, what are you using for uh, email marketing? I mean, I'm, I'm, it, I'm sure it's like a whole lot of stuff together to make it happen. But what is kind of the core? Are you using, you know, constant contact? No, my, and my core, right? My core is really just one thing is active campaign. It hasn't always been that. Okay. I think I began where most people began. And it was like MailChimp. Yep. And, and then MailChimp's a great tool. However, it's, it's built for a purpose. And... Um, there's my business, which is physical products, e-commerce and services. Now, uh, it didn't, it couldn't handle it. It wasn't robust enough. So yeah. I, I dabbled with convert kit, which I had a really good experience with, but I started finding it limiting. And then I was torn between active campaign and Clavio. Um, I think they're both amazing tools. 
my only reason I chose Active Campaign was that I didn't really feel that Clavio excelled past Active Campaign until you started building a massive catalog of products. So if you're dealing with hundreds or thousands of SKUs on your website, I, I feel like Clavio takes the lead over Active Campaign, but that's not the business model that I want to be involved in. So sure. Active Campaign is an extremely robust. If it can be done, Active Campaign does it, and it also doubles as a very effective CRM. Nice. Nice. No, that's, that's good to know. And I'm sure people would want to know that. So what about uh, utilizing, say, uh, warranty cards or insert cards? Uh, do you do any of that? Again, that, that's something that I do. I've not had a great deal of, you know, wins from that. Yeah. And it, it's very dependent on what, in my experience, it's been very dependent on the cost of the product and the circumstances of the product. So I don't, I don't believe anybody's ever filed, you know, submitted a warranty for a garlic press. But yeah. if I buy a yeah. TV, I'm going to do that. Now, the, the other part that I, I guess I have issue with, with warranties, and I don't do this, and no judgment for anyone that does, is I, I don't feel that if somebody gives your email address for a warranty, that it gives you license to now email market them. Um, I, I find it very distasteful when it happens to me and yeah. it doesn't move the needle for me if I can't do that. And then on the other hand, something really effective would be like a mini chat QR code, which I toyed with for a while. It had a better effect than the other things we've mentioned so far, but I'm very in the it, unclear as to where I think that falls on Amazon's terms of service. Yes. Like I think that gets very, and I'm, I'm almost white hat to a fault. Yeah. So if it's, if it's even in a gray area or my gut, my little spidey sense tells me something, I don't want anything to do with it. So I, I really don't feel comfortable with that. Yep. Um, I agree with you. I had, we, I had Chris McCabe on and Chris and I were talking about, good guy. you know, yeah, he's a great guy and he knows his stuff. And let me, let me tell you, he, he went specifically into like using warranty cards or a warranty link or things like that. Right. And it's not that you can't do it. The question that what people fall into is they want to use that as a marketing instead of a warranty. If you strictly send them to a page that's dedicated as a warranty only information and you're not basically trying to get them to leave a product review or trying to upsell them on something else, that you can do. That doesn't violate terms of service to get them to basically sign up and get the warranty and extend it. So you got to just be really careful. They're so... There's a lot, and the reason I asked is there's a lot of people right now talking on a lot of the different uh, Facebook groups about, you know, insert cards and warranty cards and what can you put on them and what can't you. And, and it, I mean, as of the time we're doing this, it is pretty detailed. If you're going to do a warranty card, just do the warranty. If you're doing a QR code, just make sure it leads to a warranty page only. Don't try marketing them with it, you know, or trying to get them to leave a product review. So I, I agree a hundred percent. I actually, um, I don't know if it can be shown. It's not my product. Somebody actually, you know, or actually Galena, Galena, yeah. got, uh, Galena Parker got me as, as a gift. And this is a perfect example. It's a, I don't even think it says the brand name, but if you see on the bottom right there. Oh, he's showing a QR code for those yeah, that are listening. It shows a tiny QR code. It shows a text the word to this and it yeah. has a website. Now, if this was an Amazon product, I feel like there's a lot of terms of service issues that you should stay away with. But yeah. on the Shopify side, or now Shopify is synonymous with website, but on your website off, 
Amazon side, then, then yeah, that, that can be extremely effective. I still use some kind of combination of that for a free, this is something I'm testing. Like I'll use that to bring in the Alexa flash briefing or I'll use that to create like a three part video series. Like say I was selling a coffee product and I figure that, you know, everyone wants to know how to create that little heart with the foam. And here's a three part video series on how to create this, this heart with the foam to surprise your special, you know, your special somebody on that, whatever. So I'm not asking for a review. I'm not taking them anywhere. So I, I've experimented with that, but I, we're in hundred percent in agreement on that. Like don't, don't market to them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so you brought up a good point. Speaking of Shopify or your own site, right? Um, I mean, people that are building up a brand to sell on, on Amazon or already had started a brand on Amazon. Uh, I mean, don't you think that it's essential that they have a Shopify store or a regular website store with their branding and everything? Cause the reality is, I buy something on Amazon. I look at the product name. If I like it or I want to see what else, I'm going to go Google it. And most of the time, if you have a website or a domain name that has your product name as the domain name, you're going to usually show up first. Yep. And then they can go to your site, look at what else you have, and basically, you know, maybe order some more items. Do you kind of agree with that? I mean, is that what you do? 100%. I would say the only thing different I do there is that, and I agree with the model 100%. Yeah. Is that when when I started building the websites for different brands that I've had, sold, currently, everything, I, I came from a place of no money and very little time. And the idea at that time of shipping stuff out and these one-offs was, was prohibitive to me. And it was also a totally different place. We didn't have this Shopify. We didn't, you know. Yeah. So what I did, and this has stayed really common, a common theme amongst all the brands is I set up corporate websites. So I have sites, majority of my sites will not have an actual shopping cart Mm. for you to check out on. And instead their entire focus is big box retail stores, see us and make it easy for them and convince them to want to carry our products in the store and see it as a win for them. And that's how I've gotten into just, well, every big box retail store that's applicable to my brands. Lately though, I'm also looking at it as a, and I was a little incorrect. I could have added a shopping cart as well. It would not have detracted from the, for the relationship, but I thought if they see a shopping cart, they're going to think they're in direct competition with me and they won't want to buy. That's what I thought. Um, now we're going through, that's actually a priority this year in, in adding, you know, shopping carts and, and other components to the website that we didn't have before. But I think it's critical to represent your brand um, with a website, uh, your, you know, domain name website. Uh, otherwise, somebody else is doing it because the next people that come up in Google on that search are going to be uh, somebody else. Absolutely. If you're creating a brand that let's say has a story or let's say it's somehow related to uh, you know, a, a cause. You wanna have a site where you could go and explain more about that cause or the history of how that brand came up and what it does, you know, like uh, what is it, uh, like Tom's shoes, right? Like they, was it you buy a pair, they give away a pair, that type of thing. They talk about which, you know, where they're having manufactured, how they're employing all these people in other countries. You know, if you've got a lot of history around that brand or you're doing something very special with it, I think that a website, a brand website is essential, but I think it's also essential 
just to have one period. Now, what Carlos and I are talking about is also, you know, do this after you maybe got it going. If you got one product and you're getting it up on Amazon, you're just getting going, you probably don't need to run out quite yet. Make sure you kind of have made the brand semi-successful before you go run out and create a website for it. You know, you want to get the kind of essential part of getting uh, selling on Amazon uh, going first before you go creating the whole brand and a website with it. Right. So, the main goal, the business it needs to, it needs to make money. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. And I mean, we got plenty of shows on the podcast that talk about, you know, how to get up and running on Amazon. I wanted Carlos specifically on here about talking about for the people who already are on Amazon, selling on Amazon, looking for other ways to drive that traffic externally. Uh, I love the idea with the whole text messaging, uh, the text uh, based thing. That is awesome because you could almost take that text and turn that into like a, almost a questionnaire, right? Absolutely. Um, depending on what you're selling, you could say, Hey, thanks for buying this product. Uh, what other product would you like to see? I mean, you can go a lot of ways with that, or you could even do the warranty through a text message. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Even, Flick text will even let you create a landing page dedicated to an SMS code that they can put in. That could be the warranty. Wow. So it's specific, it's specific yeah, to specific. what text. Yes. That's awesome. That is, that is really cool. And that, Actually, something I've heard about, but I've never really found somebody who was using it. So I'm glad we had you on the show for that. And uh, one of the other things we were talking about, just to kind of also keep this going, um, you know, I was talking to Carlos about has he had any issue or any situations where he deals with a lot of sellers where they're selling on Amazon and they've run into cases where, let's say, Amazon Essentials came in and basically kind of took over the category. And how do they deal with that? You know, how, how have you seen people deal with that? Like, how do they differentiate themselves from that Amazon essential to basically keep the sales going? Yeah. You know, the beauty with Amazon is everything starts with, it depends like all the answers, right? So it, it depends on the brand and how entrenched they are in the industry, because if they obviously have a lot of other sales channels in place off of Amazon, then this might just be a small blip. Yep. But if, and I'm assuming most people listening to the show, uh, private label sellers, um, I'm in the minority on wanting to sell things that I'm passionate about or like to be passionate about. So they probably, you know, used a tool, found a, a, a an inefficiency in, in rank or somewhere they can fit in. And so there's not, they're not very entrenched in that category anywhere else, but on Amazon. And they were very product agnostic. So if that's the case, first of all, I would say, don't ignore it because <laughs> it's going to affect your sales. Yeah. It's going to have a heavy impact on your sales. And the other part is you should take this into consideration when deciding that you want to launch a product. You know, if I'm going to get into white bath towels, I feel that that market is so big and so generic that that is something that's got Amazon's name written all over it. And I believe they have with Amazon basics, yeah. but I don't see them getting into some rare fiber for a much smaller niche within the bath towel space yeah. or while they're into ketchup, they're not into turmeric and honey, whatever ketchup. Yeah. So I would keep that in mind. Riches are in the niches. Um, I don't want to be going head to head with Amazon on their platform. A lot of people, I don't know where I actually don't know where you stand on this, Rob, but a lot of people are, they're kind of pissed about this. You know, they, they yeah. feel completely betrayed. I'm, I, I'm not. 
if, if I was Amazon, my products would be the top row on search. You know, yeah. I would do it on my website. I, that's what I do on my website. I, I think that's normal. Um, this is, this is Amazon's platform. It shouldn't be your end all be all think off of Amazon. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I personally have ordered Amazon essentials. So, I mean, I can't fight against it and say that it's a bad thing. I mean, I get what they're trying to do and yeah, it's, it's hurt categories, but I, I know sellers out there. I'll give you a great example of a seller. I know that it specifically is going against Amazon essentials. He was, he's selling batteries right now. We know Amazon, I think one of their top, top essential products is actually batteries. And what he ended up doing is when they got into that space, he diversified. He started, there's, you know, yeah, there's triple A's, there's double A's, there's nine volts. There's all the ones everybody knows, but there's all these batteries that are in demand out there that Amazon is not selling. I mean, there's hearing aids out there and devices that require lots of batteries. And I think he's carrying like 30 different types of batteries now. So See, that, that's, the, that's what I was saying, like with the bath towel and the niche. Yeah. That's exactly what he did. And he's going to do really, really well. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, he's killing it. He's doing great. I mean, yeah, the, his AAA ones maybe aren't doing all that great, right? Against the AAA or AA's of Amazon. But that brings up a question I wanted to ask you, you know, when a product takes off, how do you leverage the success of that product to eat, kind of like find the next product? Or can you, you know, do you try to find like a sub product or maybe something that goes with it? What have you dealt with any situations like that? Yeah, uh, my, my entire model of selling on the private label side is uh, inch wide, mile deep versus mm -hmm. the inch wide, mile, deep, uh, mile wide, inch deep. So yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I do. Uh, I usually have a good idea what my first five or six products are going to be before I launch that first one in the niche. But before pulling the trigger on adding a new product, I definitely look at, you know, what, what the data is telling me, what's the frequently bought together. Uh, I still use, you know, retail analytics premium. Uh, now we have brand analytics on seller central. Like I look at those, you know, those basket analysis and everything like that to, I factor that into the next product that I purchase. Now, how do I leverage the existing traffic? Sometimes it's very straightforward. If it's a variation and you can somehow, if it's some form of variation to the product that's already selling, then having it as a variation on that page and leveraging all the eyeballs that are already on that page, that's, that should be a no brainer. But if it's not, I do utilize the, you know, the cross promotion feature on Amazon. It's not, I haven't found it to be that effective. Um, I also begin using in my trivia quizzes, polls and contests, especially the contests or the monthly giveaways. I'll begin with giving, doing giveaways for the hot product and the people that I know that are getting the hot product, which I can take, I don't even need them to buy it on Amazon. I'm not even sending them to Amazon. I'm not giving them hundred percent off. I don't want to do any of that, but knowing that they were into this specific product and so much so that they got involved into a contest and shared it out to a bazillion people. I know that there's a high likelihood that they're going to be into this other product and I'll have an email automation set up to go to them. And, and that's really been extremely effective um, for me to the point where I haven't had to explore very much more than that. Yeah, that's really good. That, that's uh, good information. And then, of course, you know, we talked a little bit about YouTube and video marketing. Are you using any video marketing or YouTube or, uh, you know, and let me just define for everybody, like video marketing could even be 
adding a video to your product on Amazon. I mean, that's still considered video marketing. Um, YouTube, it would be more used for like driving people to your Amazon listing or possibly to your website. Have you done any of that? Uh, no, I, I'll tell you what video marketing though that we're doing and my plan for YouTube. So the, the first part, uh, my plan for YouTube video ads is I'm looking for the next network event that you're going to be at and I'm going to buy you drinks and <laughs> try to keep you there all night and I'm going to mine you for information. So that's, that's my YouTube video ad plan as of right now. So what's the next, uh, conference you're going to be at. <laughs> It'll probably be on your podcast. It sounds like, so we'll yes, definitely be so talking about that. Definitely. And then the, the video ad technique that I'm doing right now, and it's just going gangbusters is to the exclusive of everything else, to the exclusion of everything else is uh, Amazon live video. Hmm. Um, and that's just been absolutely amazing. Awesome. Yeah, no, that that's really good. That's good. Yeah. And then uh, let's, also talk about, uh, I want to dive into your background because I want people to know more about you, Carlos. I mean, uh, I, I got to talk to Carlos for hours in San Francisco, even though he was trying to actually host it. I just kept pulling him aside and him and I just kept talking about stuff. And I, I sat right up front when he was doing his presentation, well, presentation slash giving out a bunch of information. And tell us, Carlos, because this actually hit me and I was just like, wow, this guy's been around a long time. And it was very clear that you've done a lot of things right. How many business have you created and sold? Let's start with that. Um, I, 12, 13, I have hesitancy on the 13th one because I wasn't involved in it in the beginning, but I was sure. involved in the end. So, so 13 of them all wow. beginning on Amazon. Yeah, I think I'm on, I think I'm three. So <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's awesome. And then, um, I want you to tell the full story. You guys got to hear this full story. <laughs> and I think it was your first business, right? It was yeah. the first business. Tell first everybody the first business. Make sure you cover where the inventory was being held and how it all went, please. Because everybody, you got to listen to the story. It's an amazing one. Carlos, take it away. Sure, man. The, I was holding down a bunch of jobs. Publix, delivering subs, selling cigars. I was working a lot of uh, odd jobs, all because I had this expensive ex-girlfriend and I was just trying to get her anything. I was at a really low, lame point of my life. And, and that's what I did. So I started finding odd things to sell. I discovered eBay. I started selling some stuff on eBay. And as the eBay revenues picked up, my, my friends and family noticed that I was doing something you know, positive. So they started watching me. And then as my revenues or my profits on eBay started making more than my sub route, I would drop that. Then I would drop the cigar thing and it eventually left me full time on eBay. At that point, my friends and family wanted to, they wanted to invest in me. I think it's important to, to, that, that that particular part is important that it was an investment and they expected to be paid back. Had it been a gift, I think I wouldn't be here right now because sure. I could have just walked away. But I, from being in a low point to having people want to invest in me and it being validated and calling me things like entrepreneur, I think it was the first time I ever heard it. They, they pulled together $81,000 to invest in my business. It's a lot of money. It's more than I thought I would ever see in my entire life. And I immediately got this money and I wanted to invest it in the most profitable product that I had, which at the time was this adult novelty product. It had a motor and a guy slips it on like you get it. So, I'd get them for like 16 cents. We'd sell them for like 20, 25 bucks. Amazing. Like you don't see stuff like that anymore. And 
I just couldn't get enough of them. So this was my grand plan. I'm going to like surpass Bill Gates. And I contact my, my supplier who exists to this day, by the way, uh, Elvis from a factory called Pleasure Chest that focuses on adult, adult novelties. And I told him I wanted to buy $81,000 of these products, including shipping. Said he didn't have that much in stock. I felt betrayed. I, I didn't, it didn't dawn on me that it's for obvious reasons a factory doesn't have that much stock on hand. And I wanted it now. So Alibaba was totally different back then. It yeah. looked nothing like what it looks like now. Um, no, because some people might say, idiot, why didn't you use escrow and all this stuff? But <laughs> it didn't exist. It didn't exist. Right. It didn't exist. And it was very hard to just find anything on Google about Alibaba. Yeah. And so searching around Alibaba, I found a guy who went by the name of Usman Sise and had a factory in Hong Kong that had all of this product in stock. I sent him the money, obviously all of it, because he had all of it in stock ready to ship. And he stole everything from me. Yeah. So devastated. I was accustomed to being broke. You know, I was still peanut butter and jellying it sort of. And I, what, what I wasn't ready to do is let my friends and family know that I could not pay them back. I believe half of them would have felt that I stole it. And the other half would have thought like, well, we kind of expected that. <laughs> what did we think? So I, I immediately went on sort of grabbing all of my things to go sell them for some seed capital to, to start up and somehow make these payments back on this investment without them knowing what had happened. I, I went to my most expensive possession was a Movado. I thought it would yield me like a thousand dollars. I got like 85 bucks to 150 bucks, something like that. I was devastated. So yeah. I went to go sell two of my snakes, uh, Burmese Python, Colombian red tail boa. And the person in front of me in line, I'm holding pillowcases. They're in pillowcases. And the person in front of me in line was paying $25 for 50 live worms. And it's something just, some weird click happened and I didn't know that I'd be, that the story would even be one I would not be ashamed to, to talk about right now. But I, I leave in a daze. I end up in a public library researching stuff. And what I was looking for was an area like the type of soil where these kind of worms lived, nothing to do with breeding so that I could just dig all day. And I imagined filling a bucket full of worms and selling them. So that's, that's how off I was. Tears in my eyes, that's how off I was on my plan. I, I find an article by a zoologist talking about how zoos should breed these insects for feed instead of paying top dollar on the private market. Yeah. And when I heard breed, I was like, that makes sense in a way. Like, and all I have to do is to manage this is feed them and they mate. And it, there ends up being a lot more to it than that. But I, I run around garage sales, paying pennies on the dollar for a bunch of bins, put these in bins and I'm storing them in my house. Insects smell really bad. Ex-girlfriend had enough at this point gone. And I continue breeding these and selling them on live insects on eBay and Amazon for close to a year. Yeah. At this point, code enforcement knocks on my door, middle of the night. Anyone that knows code enforcement, if they're at your door at night, outside of a nine to five, a lot has gone wrong. Yep. And I bluffed them saying that it would be an agricultural disaster if I threw all these insects out. To put in perspective, I was at about three and a half million crickets in the house at that point, uh, three and a half million roaches, uh, feeder worms, super worms, all, all of this stuff. And they gave me till the next day. I find a friend that al uh, allows me to get rent free in his warehouse for what wound up being six months. And then 
you just realize that he can't use the other half of the warehouse knowing that the other half was full of insects. And he, I wind up getting the whole thing. I'm pretty much living in this warehouse at this point on the floor of the office. I had a bed, but it was just working so hard. If I didn't package these, these live insects quick enough, I would lose money. I'd lose sales. It would hurt my metrics. And I didn't want to waste time driving back and forth from work to home to the office. Fast forward about, about another year, actually shy of a year. And I'm approached and somebody purchased my company for $2.6 million. Um, I, it wound up being a bad deal. It was the best, I have no regrets. It was the best deal and the best thing to happen to me at that time. Yeah. But knowing what I know now, they, they got over like fat rats. I, yeah. I immediately, with no cash flow skills, no anything, just started, you know, whoring around Miami. I assumed that this was enough money for me to live whatever lifestyle I wanted every day for the rest of my life. No money concerns at all. That's not the case. And I got to a point where I realized, you know, at this point next year, I'll be broke. And the only wow. thing I had done successfully that I'd been validated in was, was Amazon. So I started a beverage chilling brand and I haven't looked back. Wow. What, what year was that, that time frame? This Just out of curiosity. 2007. Wow. Okay. Yeah, late 2007, very early 2008. Wow. Something like that. Yeah. I was going to ask you, but it sounded like you kind of answered it unless there's a different one. I was going to ask you if you ever sold a business that you kind of wish you kept. Is that the one or has there been others that you wish you held on to? No, I'm, I'm, I'm very weird in that regard. I, I guess I'm not business savvy where everyone says, you know, you start a business, you need to start with the exit in mind. And that's probably good information. Yeah. I've never done that. I, I don't know how to start a business that way. I start heavily invested emotionally, you know, heavily imagining my great grandkids working in the family business and they're <laughs> proud of it. And I think that for me, that's what I need to do to, to invest, to, to be yeah. fully invested. So when I get to a point where somebody comes up to me and makes an offer on the business and I realize I have all these other amazing ideas I can't get to because you only have so much bandwidth, that little piece of doubt creeps in and then I start losing that emotional investment. And then I'm like, you know what? I want to sell this because I'm more excited or more emotionally invested in this other idea that's been percolating for a while. So once I lose that emotional investment there, I have no regrets. So I don't regret the sales. I can say that that first one though, um, was not a good deal. <laughs> it was good at the time. Uh, and that's what counts, right? Yeah. So let's also jump into and talk about uh, Wizards of Amazon meetup group. Uh, tell everybody a little bit. I mean, this is, I, I personally know because we had to start, I took basically had to take over the meetup group in the Bay Area and the Silicon Valley here. And uh, it's not easy to run. It takes a lot of work. And Carlos is currently running the world's largest Amazon meetup group in Florida. And tell us about, about the group, uh, what kind of people, you know, how many people are you getting there? Are you getting mainly uh, people that want to sell or let's say selling less than a year or more advanced? Uh, tell us about your group. Uh, yeah, very proud of the group. Uh, the only vanity number I've ever followed in my life is the largest Amazon seller meetup in the, in the world number. Yeah. We were neck and neck with the amazing group, Amazon meetup group in the UK for a little yep. while. But uh, now I think we're like a thousand members past it. Like we're growing at 
I think nine new members a day. Um, but yeah, we meet, we're, we're based in South Florida. Uh, we have 18 events per month. So we, we also have of those 18 I'm getting these numbers, right? We have five of them, which are Spanish. So they're, they're in Spanish, hundred uh, percent. Um, and then wow. we have 13 other ones that are in English. They can, they can, they're, let me get this word right. I want to say it. Otherwise I go down this rabbit hole. They are <laughs> predominantly workshops sure. or topics of the week with a specific speaker. People know the theme when they're going in the Saturday events begin with a beginner hour. All of the events are recorded. So we have that on meetup event recordings.com and people that's been a great way to kind of offset a lot of what goes in on the back end. I mean, have a VA team and everything to, to pull off that many events. I think nice. for 20 bucks a month, people get access to all of the events. I, it, the types of sellers that are there are all of them. Like this Saturday we have an event, which is not the norm, but this Saturday we have an event, which is how to use ghost writers and make money via royalties with Amazon self-publishing. Uh, last week we had a merch by Amazon event. The, the vast majority I would say are private label focused and we do have a smattering of, of wholesale and arbitrage. We have two events per month, which are only for sellers that are $100,000 in sales a month or higher. So we have a lot of advanced members as well. Yeah. We also have people in there that are asking, what is FBA? So yeah. it's, you know, from A to Z is what is what's there. It's been, it's been absolutely amazing and we cover all topics. That's great. And, and now with everything going on, you have it on Zoom too, correct? Yeah. So yes. no matter if you're listening to this and you want to be part of a meetup group or want to learn more about it without having to physically go anywhere, because we're all still pretty much sitting at home right now, uh, definitely take a look at Wizards of Amazon, uh, meetup.com, meetup or right? If yeah, the, easy, the easiest way to, uh, to find it. Yeah. Um, if you want, let me see, what would be the single easiest way to get it? Well, the easiest way oh. for everybody listening is look in the description and I'll put a link, but yeah. tell everybody but we, how we also, we, we also have a chat group on Telegram. Yeah. Well, this is 100% free, but you can go to um, amazongroupchat.com and that's going to give you instructions on how to get in our Telegram group chat. And there you can just say, what's the link to the meetup? You'll see it because there's 18 events per month, so they're constantly, the links to join them um, are, are always there. Each event we have anywhere from, on Zoom, it's a little trickier, but in the live events, we have say between 60 and 120 people per event, depending on the topic. Yeah. And we have, it's not just a big number of people in the meetup group. We have a little over 2000 active members. Yep. So local active 2000 and that many people per event. It's a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. So anybody listening, Carlos Alvarez, please tell us how are the different ways they can get a hold of you. Uh, and also mention, let's see your Facebook group, the make sure to re-mention the meetup group. You got so many things going on right now. And I think I'm on all of them because every yes. time I turn around, I'm getting either a message or an email or something on my phone's going off that uh, Carlos is having an event, but yeah. tell everybody all the different ways and what you have going. Yeah. The easiest one that most people never use is just, just text me 305-902-1283. Um, yeah. be sh people are shocked that I give my number. That's my number, but people never use it. So you could text me and ask me anything and I'll answer it. I'm very active on Instagram at wizards of Amazon and the, the telegram chat group I'm always in. Yep. And that's, um, amazon group The Facebook groups, wizards of Amazon, 
uh, can I mention the podcast? Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love some feedback and some, some ears over on my podcast at Wizards of Amazon Podcast. And if you're a reader, uh, reading's had a huge impact on my life. I have the Entrepreneur's Book Club. We read one book per month. This is all free, by the way. Yeah. And, and then we discuss it at the end of the month. That's, that's I think that's the best way. Again, I will make sure that all of those things that you mentioned are in the descriptions, not only for the podcast, but the YouTube channel that we have. And Carlos, thank you again for being on the Ecom Wiz podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us this week on the Ecom Wiz podcast. Special thanks to our sponsor, FeedbackWiz.com. Be sure to use coupon code POD50 for 50% off your first paid month with FeedbackWiz. Again, the code is POD50. Please subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Join us next week for more great tips to help Amazon sellers dominate the marketplace.